Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web 3.0. Today, I'll be joined by Ani Alexander, and we're going to talk about what you need to know to get started creating NFTs. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content because I've got some great guests coming your way. Let's transition over this week's interview with Ani Alexander. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Ani Alexander. If you don't know who Ani is, she's a blockchain marketer, host of the NFT Rebels podcast, and an NFT artist. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you today. Ani and I are going to explore how to get started with creating NFTs. And I know it's like a foreign language for so many of my audience, but before we go there, I would love to hear a little bit about your story and your journey into NFTs. If you would tell us where'd you start and start wherever you want to start. Yeah, sure. I guess it would make sense to start the, the journey from getting into the crypto space, which happened about six years ago. And, and as most of the good things happen, it happened accidentally, right? So among other things, I'm also a fiction author and I, I was creating lots of written content online. So I was part of different online communities for writers. And one of the writers back in those days told me about a platform which was called Stimit, where people were posting their writings and their blogs. Unlike Facebook, when people were liking those posts or commenting other those posts, you were actually earning cryptocurrency. So basically, your content creation was rewarded in cryptocurrency. And when I checked it, it was very glitchy, hard to see. I mean, it was done by tech team without really good UX, UI. I'm not a very techie person, so I was... I tried it. It didn't work from the start. I'm impatient. I just gave it up and forgot about it. A year later, the same writer told me, oh, you didn't do anything about Stimit when I told you, right? And I was like, no, I didn't. And he said, you know what I did? I published my new novel in pieces like blog posts on there. And I made around 300K from the crypto that I earned from that book. $300,000? Wow. Yes. And I was like, what? Wow, exactly. The same kind of reaction that I've got. And I went back to figure it out. Obviously, during that one year, they had improved the platform. It was way more user-friendly. It was easier kind of, you know, to figure things out. But still, the crypto element was hard to figure out anyway. So I started posting a few things there, got a bit of likes, got a bit of crypto. And then the easiest way was, I mean, we're fortunate we have a podcast. So I was like, okay, let's figure this out with a shortcut. Just 
get someone from the team doing the interview and understand how it all works. So that was kind of my initial sort of, you know, step into the crypto world. So I got the basics from their team to understand how crypto works in general. Then I started diving into reading books, getting some resources. And then by doing, you learn more, right? So I ended up with this crypto. I didn't know what to do with it. So I had to find an exchange to turn it into Bitcoin and then to turn Bitcoin into something else. So it was a learning curve, but it it was kind of, you know, very interesting because I, I got fascinated with the whole space. It was so different and so new. Back then, I was also looking for a job and I ended up finding a job which was for a blockchain project. And ever since in the last six years, I've been working in the blockchain space as a marketing professional. But recently, I think in the past six months or so, I I felt like something was missing. So my creative side, because of the job and the life. Wait, let me pause you for one second before we get to the last six months. So you were working as a marketing professional in the crypto world, specifically working for companies that were helping create what decentralized finance kind of stuff or what just tell us a little bit more about that because i think some of my audience might be interested in that before you tell us about what happened recently in the very beginning my first journey to the professional world of the crypto was a project that was going through an ico initial coin offering so basically they were issuing a a, a token in order to raise money in order to build one of those projects that was about banking the unbanked. So it, they, they were, you know, it was basically uh, targeting to create a, a bank on the blockchain that would be accessible for everyone. So we went uh, through that journey. We raised $20 million. We started building the whole thing. I was there with the team one and a half year post ICO phase. And then I moved to an agency, which was a marketing agency that was serving blockchain projects, helping them with their marketing strategies and their implementation, which was really nice because you had this variety of different projects in different spheres doing different things. After that, I moved to a project which was specifically decentralized finance-based because it was basically an aggregator of a dashboard of decentralized finance tools, you know, decentralized exchanges, different sort of, you know, tools that people could use to stake their coins, to exchange their coins, et cetera, et cetera. Now, because I wanted to do something more creative and to somehow be connected to the NFT space, because that seems to be the more creative side of the blockchain, I wanted to stay in the space, but have something that what I call NFT space is the space in the blockchain that has a soul. Because most of the other parts are more focused on finance, more focused on the tech. And this one is includes elements which are more human, which more people understand because it's related to art, it's related to music, it's related to communities. And those are the things that no matter what the tech behind it is, it has a soul, it has a human aspect, it's it's more relevant to the real life, and people just get it. So at the moment, what I'm doing is I'm working for NiftyFi. It's basically on the crossroad between DeFi and NFTs. Uh, what we do is it's a platform where people can bring their valuable NFTs, use it as collaterals in order to get crypto loans. So basically, they can get crypto loans and back it up 
which they're NFTs. That's kind of how I ended up in there. Um, that's the professional side of things. Um, but meanwhile, my creative side was really missing. That I mean, I, I hadn't been creating anything since quite a long time. Apart from my podcast, I haven't been writing fiction for a long time. And I just felt like that creative side of me was kind of, you know, I was missing it. So I started getting involved with the NFT communities, talking to other artists. It kind of brought back the spark and the inspiration. And I started writing. I started looking for ways to revive my old writings as well. And I ended up becoming one of uh, crypto artists and, and, you know, minting my own NFTs as well. Very cool. Awesome story. Awesome journey. So that's a great set up for my next question, which is this is the crypto business podcast and we're going to have a lot of business people listening to this, right? Marketers, uh, entrepreneurs, or creators who want to start a business. Um, why should businesses consider NFTs? What do you want to say to them? Because it seems like the craze right now is very much a collectibles kind of consumer trend, but what about the business side of it? Why? What's the use case? What's the business case for something like this? Yeah, it's a good question because for many people, when they hear NFTs, what they imagine is it's a JPEG of an animal, uh, in most cases, different animals, and loads of craze and hype around trading those animals, the high prices, and and the, the whole drama around that side of the things, which, which is part of the space as well, obviously. Uh, but what we have to understand is that the NFTs are not just JPEGs, right? The NFT itself is just about the technology behind it and what the technology basically says which is a blockchain based technology is that you are creating a token that is non-fungible that that's where the name comes from nft and what what it means basically is that if so let's say the cryptocurrency tokens like bitcoin are fungible you can exchange one bitcoin with another bitcoin and you wouldn't see the difference right the value is the same yeah the value is the same. The look is the same. It doesn't really, it, you, it can be exchanged between themselves. And in your wallet, you wouldn't see the difference, right? Whether it was the initial Bitcoin you bought or eventually you exchanged it, did different transactions. And in six months, another Bitcoin came to your wallet, right? It wouldn't really matter. It wouldn't make any difference. Here, in this case, the token is non-fungible, which means that it's very unique. It's basically just a unique piece of token that has all the registered kind of, you know, story behind it, who it belonged to from the very day one when it was minted, who was the author. So it proves authenticity so you can track it back, you know, exactly at which moment it was served quote-unquote born basically and meant it and basically it's kind of you know with that idea behind it you can use it for different cases right so let's say your business where you have issues where whatever you're producing gets fake copies let's say you're a luxury brand that uh that ends up with loads of fake Louis Vuitton's you know, produced in, in China, for example. So if you use that technology behind it and sort of link NFTs to your production, to your every single piece of the bag, the purchaser and you as well, you as a, the one who buys that bag can track it down and make sure that it's authentic, it's produced by the real brand, 
you you can even see like you know where if you go even further you can eventually if it's embedded in the nft you can even see where the materials came from and kind of you know see the whole history behind it right lots of fake things are coming happening usually when you know with sports jerseys with like the genuine sports jerseys of the players which are being auctioned right how do you know that it's the real one it's sometimes it may be fake right so that's that's one of the side of the story like prove that technology proves authenticity of the thing the other part of the story is kind of it also pro- proves the authorship so if you are a creator creating art or creating content uh, creating music anything that is created by you specifically the nft technology can sort of you know proves you being the author so later on obviously i could potentially right click save which is like you know the counter argument of nfts like why pay so much for it i can just save it you could save the file but you know on the blockchain the registry will still prove and show who is the real owner right so that's that's another aspect of the nfts the other thing that is really good is uh, nfts you can use them as uh, access to memberships so if you are creating exclusive experiences if you are creating like you know ticket related stuff you can use the nft technology in order to again kind of you know make sure that everything is in place and you get those experiences only to the people who own that token so there are lots of different sort of application based on your business that you could do many brands are getting into this space now because through nfts they can amplify and improve their community engagement because through those tokens through those nfts they start creating relationships and add experiences and exclusive kind of you know emotional things behind it for example nba does this really well nba has an nft project which is called nba top shots where people are buying the uh, the highlights uh, the important moments of the match so in a short kind of video nfts right and it's obviously unique if it's just one copy of it but it can be serialized it can be just limited edition and can be equally valuable so they have different tiers of how many of each moment is is available etc the possibilities in terms of technology it's a lot and also the good thing is it's still early so people are coming up with creative once you understand how it works you can come up with more creative stuff and do things that haven't been done before so you don't have to follow the format because everyone is still figuring it out when we were preparing for this interview you said that uh, people can use nfts to fundraise they can use them as you already mentioned for memberships and also for voting rights now i know some people are listening and they might say to themselves well i can go fundraise on kickstarter or I can just go ahead and set up a website and sell a membership with a Visa or MasterCard. Like, why would I want an NFT? Like, what's what's unique, do you understand, about the NFT that makes it so that they should use this alternative method, if you will, versus the old-fashioned method? So, yeah, I mean, if if you look at it from that perspective uh, for fundraising, it's, it's very similar to, to Kickstarter because it's crowdfunding per se. But because it's on the blockchain, it's also trackable, right? Because you can see where the money goes to. So like, you know, the team may be anonymous, but their wallets are are public. Like, where did the money go? You can 
completely track the whole thing. So once the crypto has been fundraised by selling the NFTs, the community who actually participated in the, to the whole thing can see what are the movements, what the things have been spent on, right? So it, there, it gives a, a transparency layer, which can add to, to the trust part of it. And the second thing is that depending on how you structure your NFT, you will have them, the token holders' wallets in your registry. And later on, you can add things to it. So you can add more sort of incentives. You can create more campaigns based on that. You can build on top of what is out there already. This is known as airdrops, right? Is that what we're referring yeah. to? Yeah. You can you can do airdrops or you can, let's say, issue another NFT and just kind of give them early access to get that one with a discount or whatever it is, right? I love that. Let's pause for a second on that because because this is, uh, there's only one, right? And it's, it's tied to a wallet, right? And they have to log into their wallet and prove that they have it. It can open up opportunities like someone who is originally part of your fundraising might get free access to your membership thing later because they were part of the initial fundraising and they were issued in uh, like a founder's NFT, right? And they get early access or special access to your membership stuff, right? Or someone who has access to the membership, but sells it to someone else. And that's the whole side of it too. You can trade these things. Well, their access is revoked because they don't have the token anymore. Someone else does, right? And this allows you to, to minimize fraud and all that other kind of stuff, right? Exactly. So what happens at the moment is most of the NFT communities and most of the NFT project communities at the moment are living on Discord. So that's kind of the preferred platform where they gather and kind of discuss things and where the communities live. Some of the exclusive communities and, you know, things that are giving you membership rights are basically in order to get there, you have to connect your wallet. It checks whether that NFT is in your wallet or not, and then you get in. So obviously, if you trade it and sell it to someone else, then, you know, you, you can't access it anymore. And then someone else who has that NFT in his wallet will be able to get in. So that, that's exactly how it works at the moment. Well, and I would think also from a business perspective, creating NFTs for your customers and or future customers also could create some incredible loyalty, right? Because they own something now that's hopefully exclusive and that exclusive thing could become worth more value down the road to them. And when people are given something that they perceive as valuable, generally many of them want to let others know about it. They're excited about it and they kind of turn into evangelists for the business. We see this happening with so many people who own, like, for example, some of the more famous NFTs like uh, apes, right? The bored apes, for example, that kind of stuff, right? So that wasn't necessarily done that I'm aware of by a existing business, but I think it can create an incredible community and pride in community, right? Where people are proud owners of some of these NFTs, right? Yeah, it's definitely perfect for communities. Let's say you can also attach voting rights to those NFTs, which means that you can come up with a model, uh, which is pretty popular these days. It's getting more and more popular, which is called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, where basically, instead of being a registered company, it's a decentralized community that makes the decisions together and decides on the strategic kind of directions of what they are going to do in the future, right? NFTs can have these voting rights where people who are holding those tokens would prefer to keep holding them in order to have a voice 
in the future of whatever you're building. And then they, they already will be participating in it and not just consuming your content or, you know, be a user of whatever you're offering. They become part of your team, basically. Yeah, and we do have another uh, episode with Denise Holt specifically on C- decentralized autonomous organizations for anybody that wants to learn more about that. So back to NFTs, what kinds of NFTs can we create or did we already talk about that? Are there different, and this is again, my ignorance, right? Like, are there certain kinds of NFTs and we have to decide if we're going to create this kind of an NFT or that kind of an NFT when we're at the kind of beginning stages of a project? Yeah, so there are several standards to NFTs uh, like ERC-721 or 1115. That's the technical part. I don't think that's important or interesting in that sense. What is interesting are, you know, what are the possibilities and what type of things you could actually create? In theory, basically, anything that can be digital can be minted and, and become an NFT, right? Whether it's an MP4, whether it's an MP3, whether it's an image... Whether it's a tweet, like tweets have been sold as minted and sold as NFTs as well. So basically anything that sits as a digital kind of in a digital format on the web could theoretically become an NFT. Okay, I have a couple of technical questions on this. So it could be a video, it could be an image, it could be sound. A mixture of those, basically, it can be a combination of formats. But it has to have some visual element to it, generally speaking, these days, or does it not have to? I mean, it seems as if most of them do. Depending what it is, like, let's say if it's a music, it can have like the same image of the track. But then, you know, the, the behind music is the same. So, right. you know, some of the tokens that are not prevailingly visual based or, you know, they give access to, let's say, if, if you're minting an ebook, for example, then the, all the NFTs can have the same cover and it's an unlockable content. Basically, you get the NFT and it sends you to where the file of the ebook sits and you get it, right? Ah, okay. Okay. So not everything needs to be visually completely complex. If what you're offering does not, visual part is not very important. It can be very simple uh, just to have a placeholder, basically, when you're getting into it, just to see something. What are some of the things we need to be thinking about if we're going to create an NFT? Are there a couple of basic questions that we need to ask ourselves before we even start creating NFTs? Yeah. So I think the, the, the most important question is why right? Like what's the end goal? What's the purpose behind it? So for artists, in most cases, it's about sharing their art, building their brand as an artist, right? To getting their art to their collectors, etc., etc. For the collectibles like board apes, basically, it's about creating a community, gathering people around your, you know, your project, obviously raising money. But if you look at the collectibles market, there is a lot of trading happening and most of the money comes from the secondary sales when, when things get really crazy and, and the markets are very active, right? So that's another side of the story. If you are creating a membership site or, you know, if you are a big brand where you want to sort of incorporate this technology to enhance some of the things that you care about as a brand, let's say the user experience and engagement with your brand, for example, and coming up with interesting things. I just read recently that H&M, the the clothing brand, is going to have a shop in a metaverse where people with their avatars can go get to the shop, see what is being sold and kind of, you know, pay right there and then and kind of, you know, get the, the NFT and then the physical 
of that NFT, the physical actual cloth will be delivered to you home, right? So um, it, it all depends. I think the first question is basically understanding why you're doing it, what's the purpose, because that will help you understand what kind of NFTs will make sense, which later on will help you understand how to structure them and where to mint them, basically. Now, your NFT Rebels podcast is for really creators. Is that right? That's who you're mostly talking to on the podcast or no? Yeah, it's it's mostly for creators and it's also covering some of the projects that are kind of have really interesting stories behind them and have interesting elements because what I'm trying to do is at the moment creators, because it's early stages, most of the creators just do things the way they, they know is done. So let's say if I'm a painter, I will paint my stuff like traditionally as I've always done and then snap a photo of it. And just, you know, mint the photo as, as a digital piece and create an NFT out of it, right? So everyone is trying to, to do what they are comfortable with. And what I'm trying to do with that podcast is kind of, you know, talk about different possibilities, like more original ideas of how can things be done and any projects that have interesting stories behind them. I just, you know, expose people towards them as well. A lot of people listening right now might want to work with creators specifically on the NFT project that maybe they've got in the back of their mind. And since you've been talking to so many of them, you know, what do they need to know? Like where, do, first of all, where in the world do they even find creators that, that would be willing to work on the NFT projects? And what do they need to know specifically about working with these kinds of creators? Let's say you need a visual artist, right? That visual artist does not specifically need to be an NFT person, right? If, if you like their art and, you know, they do nice things and it looks good, you can get a freelancer who will, who will create the visuals, let's say, right? Theoretically, if it's not a collectible, it doesn't have to have like this original generated through code pieces of 10,000 pieces or whatever, if it's something like a smaller scale, then you could do that. But obviously it's always easier probably to work with uh, people who already worked on some NFT projects. They know the nuances and, you know, it's, it's easier to explain what you need. And for that, I mean, the NFT community is, is very, very welcoming and very open and, and very friendly. In most cases, NFT communities are, uh, quote unquote, leaving on Twitter and Discord. Those are like the two main spaces where they engage and interact. So what you could do is you can, let's say, go to different platforms where NFT projects are and see which ones do you like. And then when, when you see which ones do you like, you will probably find their Twitter account. It will probably show who the artist was so you can, you know, get in touch with them. Or uh, what would probably be better is there are loads of Twitter spaces that are full of creators and uh, NFT artists who, who engage, who talk about their upcoming projects, who share their work. Uh, you can even follow like uh, different hashtags like NFT art, uh, crypto art, NFT artist, etc. And just look through them because most of the, what they are creating is going to be shared on socials. And they are very open to getting um, messages. Twitter spaces, for me personally, has been the best case because it's easier to create relationships and build trust because you also engage with them in a deeper level than just one tweet or one short message on Twitter. I'm thinking through, from an artist's perspective, I've worked with a lot of creatives over the years because I used to own a creative agency. 
And sometimes when you hire someone to do something for you, there's sometimes limits to what you can do from a licensing perspective with their art, right? So do you have any particular recommendations on, because generally speaking, if you're going to hire an artist, let's say to create either a limited edition series of images, particularly for NFTs, you're just going to want to, I would imagine somehow write into their contract when you hire them, that they're giving you somehow exclusive right to using this art, right? I mean, isn't that something we need to be thinking about when we're working with these kind of guys, especially if it becomes a collectible? I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the specifics. What I know is that, you know, the NFT-related copyright is a bit of gray area. And, you know, in general, the NFT regulation is something that is not very clear as of yet. So there are many cases that can be interpreted in different ways. Probably interesting thing to point out at this point is that most of the NFT artists, you know, if they're really good, most probably have done a lot during this period and during the hype period have probably made lots of money. It might be expensive. Yeah. So just the money may not be enough motivation. So what I would do if I was going to have an NFT project, for example, I would rather sell them the idea and invite them to become part of the team and then have them have a share of whatever you're going to get out of it uh, rather than just hire them as a freelancer, right? So because then they will be more dedicated, they will feel a bit of ownership and it will be kind of a teamwork kind of thing. So I think the process would go smoother in that sense. As far as the limitations of the media, the creative that you're including inside of an NFT, is there a limit to physically how large the image needs to be or the video or audio explain how all that works. Cause for a lot of people it's, it's difficult to wrap your head around it. You know what I mean? I'm not a very techie person, so I can tell you the way I imagine it, which may or may not be right. So double check it, please. Okay, cool. So there is a thing called on-chain, which is kind of basically when you, when, when the NFT is actually embedded and sitting on the blockchain itself. It's usually those projects where you have different platforms where you can do, quote unquote, like generative art, which means that you as an artist collaborate with the code. You give as an artist some ideas, different shapes, colors, some dimensions. And then what happens is you you give it to the algorithm, you give it to, to the code. The code generates randomized sort of series of that thing. And what happens is when the person wants to buy it, they mint it and it's created during the mint as a combination of the artist's work and the code, basically. Yeah, I think that's called generative art or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's called generative art and you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, there is a very popular platform called Artblocks where there are different collections of generative art. So in most cases... When you mint it as a buyer, you don't know which piece exactly you're going to get. So you you approximately know how the collection is going to look like, but which piece exactly you will get, uh, you don't know until you mint it and it appears in your wallet. So those things, because they are generated on the blockchain and sit on the blockchain, they have a size limitation. So uh, in terms of format, th- they need to be small because they can't take up too much space in, in that Otherwise, usually 
it's basically what what it is, what the NFT code actually is. It's basically showing you the metadata of the thing, which shows you like who created it, when exactly was it minted, and it shows you the link to the actual visual or to that file, which sits somewhere, right? So the NFT is not exactly that MP4 file. The NFT is that registry that showcases. It's the record itself. Theoretically, if that's the case, then wherever that thing sits shouldn't really have a very big size limitations in that respect. But again, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure about this. So Got it. What about... Um for people that want to create NFTs, are there tools or software applications or websites that kind of make it simple? Or do you have to go out and hire developers? Like, what are, what's your thoughts on all that? So if it's a simple NFT, and by simple, I, I mean straightforward. So if it's just a video or your music or a visual, it doesn't really have any complex elements, any anything that changes with the time or any complexity behind it, then it's very straightforward. Most of the platforms, OpenSea being the biggest one, and then there are many different uh, platforms that are, some of them are curated, you have to get approved to get on them. Some of them are invite only. So there, there is loads of platforms that basically, if it's a simple NFT that you're minting, all you have to do is you, you go there. It's a very straightforward process. You create your account, link it to your wallet, upload the file, and then you mint it. During minting, you basically approve a transaction, which costs you a gas fee, which is basically the commission. When you say you, do you mean the buyer or do you mean the seller? The seller. Okay. You, like whoever is mint, the creator of the NFT, so to speak. So basically, you, you create your account, you link it to your wallet, you upload the file that needs to be turned into an NFT, and then you mint it, which means that you are approving a transaction on a blockchain, which costs you a gas fee, which unfortunately, if it's on the Ethereum blockchain, it's very, very costly at the moment. And then once the transaction goes through it, it's minted, it's available on the platform and people can come and purchase it. Okay. So just a couple clarifying questions. I have heard of the phrase minting before, and sometimes I've heard of people minting somewhere else and then it's showing up on OpenSea. I didn't know that you could actually, if I'm hearing you correctly, is it, is it true that I can just go to OpenSea.io? I think it is, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it's .com and literally open up an account and I can do the whole minting process, the whole shebang right there on OpenSea. Is that your understanding of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can do that. It's it's OpenSea.io. So basically you create an account, you you link your wallet to that account and uh, and you can mint. They, uh, they also have a thing called lazy minting, which is basically, it's the equivalent of print of demand, right? Where you basically don't pay a minting fee every time. It's kind of deducted from when the buyer. Oh, it's like only when someone buys it, it's minted right there on the spot. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. so you you pay a certain amount just for the beginning to create a collection, and later on, it's sort of you know there you can you can use that functionality. I haven't used it myself, but like you know that's how it works. There are uh, more kind of exclusive invite only platforms where it's like art blocks. Art blocks, some of the collections there is, is very curated, so you really need approvals. It's very hard to get there, etc. But let's say 
foundation is invite only, but it shouldn't be very hard to find an invitation to get in. But then what happens is you are super rare, rareable foundation. All these platforms are, you have to pay gas fee several times in different stages. So you pay a gas fee when you mint, but when you mint, it doesn't mean that people can already buy it. You have also to list it to market, to list it for sale, which is another transaction, which again, you know, charges you a gas fee. And OpenFee also takes a percentage of that transaction or whatever platform, right? All platforms take a certain percentage from the sale. So you get their percentage, like the, the price minus their percentage, and then you get the difference into your wallet. But some platforms just have more steps where you are creating more transactions and pay more gas fees. Some of them have less steps and you just pay it once or kind of, you know, you you have uh, kind of less. So some are more costly, some are less costly. And then there is this another element of complexity where if you use a different blockchain, which is not Ethereum, let's say it's Tezos or Solana, there the fees, minting fees are very, very small. Like we're talking about maybe a dollar or even less than a dollar, which is a very big difference from on average now, probably on Ethereum, you will spend around $100 or something like that, right? So it's a very big difference. But then there is a trade-off because there is a very big difference, but then the volumes are smaller, the user base is smaller. So it's kind of, it depends what you're looking for. Yeah, and this is <laughs> worth talking about, right? So deciding whether you want to be on a Ethereum-based NFT versus a Solana-based NFT is an important decision, right? Because Ethereum is the one that everyone seems to be on. All the big ones seem to be on Ethereum today. But it sounds like eventually they're all working on cross. I understand eventually that OpenSea is not going to just be Ethereum. Hopefully they'll also support Solana and others. So you'll be able to cross trade. Do you feel like that's coming or no? Uh, so there are different projects that are working on interoperability of when, you know, it's the same thing for crypto tokens as well, not just NFTs, right? Where, where the token can sort of travel between blockchains. At the moment for crypto, they have found like a semi-solution where they basically wrap the token into something and then it travels and then comes back, etc. Projects are working on it. I don't know when it will actually be a reality because it seems to be a relatively complex task and um, it's not out there yet. What is out there and works is so-called layer twos. So basically what it is, is, and probably most popular one is Polygon, which OpenSea works with. So basically what it does is it's taking Ethereum as a base, but it's kind of, you know, a, a second layer on top of Ethereum where you're basically minting on Polygon and then people are buying it with the Polygon token. And then it kind of, you know, it transitions into Ethereum. Yeah, because Polygon is is backed by Ethereum, right? So that's somehow there's some sort of connection there because they're using the Ethereum as the security. They are using a bridge between the two, basically between that layer and Ethereum. And you can mint on Polygon through your OpenSea account. I don't know how exactly it works, but from what I've heard from, from the artist's perspective, it's way cheaper. It's, it's pretty kind of, you know, good for the creator, but it feels like the users don't really like it so much because it, it's not seamless and it needs a, a bit of extra effort for, for the buyers. So it kind of works technically, but I have a feeling that it's not yet so popular. 
So what I'm hearing you say, and my understanding as well, is if you want to be on the platform, if you want to be technically on the on the one where most of the NFT craze has happened in 2021 and into 2022, then it's Ethereum. A lot of people have Ethereum. A lot of people hold those tokens. And that seems to be where the really, really big stuff has been, like the crypto punks and, and the board apes and stuff. But if you're going after an audience that's not familiar with crypto at all, and you're going to have to educate them anyways, then you may as well consider these alternative, less costly platforms, right? Yeah. Less costly pl- platforms are also kind of growing, right? It's it's They just started recently. They are growing. There are some popular projects there as well. So it's, you know, I, I would be open-minded in that respect and just watch how it goes. And it all depends on your audience as well. If you're creating audience from scratch, like, you know, maybe kind of experimenting on a cheaper platform in the beginning in terms of costs uh, would be a good idea just to get a feel of it, to understand how it works, et cetera, et cetera. But you also have to look, uh, do a bit of research and understand which platforms has how many specifics because, for example, Tezos seems to be quite user-friendly because most of the artists easily get their head around it and stuff like that. When you look at the average prices of the NFTs there, it's pretty low. So if you're going for a high-end, one-on-one exclusive art piece that you want to sell with with very high price, then Tezos will not be a solution because that audience is not there. You know, Tezos prices are not so high at the moment yet. Look into the future for me if you can and imagine five years from now, where do you see all this going, particularly with NFTs? Like what's your vision of how big this could be and where this could go. It's very hard to predict. And this whole space is such a fast-paced space that five years is like a massive time frame, right? I think all these crossroads between the NFT technology and different spheres will be booming, right? We already see a big, big development with NFTs and gaming. We see stuff happening and probably it will develop further between NFT and fashion, And the whole metaverse thing is going to develop way further. So everything in the metaverse, theoretically, like starting from the virtual land, finishing by the clothes of the avatars, they are all NFTs, right? So that whole market is going to be kind of, you know. And interoperable, right? They'll eventually be able to take these from thing to place to place, right? Yeah. So basically there are many sort of, you know, NFT gaming projects that are working on exactly that when, you know, your your game sort of uh, attribute can be used in, in another game, in another platform, etc. So the metaverses eventually need to merge and work together, right? The other interesting element that is is happening already is basically this whole idea that you know, NFT is not just crypto art. So things are moving beyond that. And many big brands are getting into it. We already see many big brands that are getting involved. And like Adidas is in it already. Basically, many, many brands are just started getting involved now. But I feel like what they're doing is they're just figuring out what would be the best model to embed it into their business, right? So I feel at one point when we get to a stage where it will be, and maybe it will be in five years, maybe a bit later, but when quote-unquote mass adoption happens, eventually 
there will be no such a steep learning curve, right? We will be using NFTs and in general, that blockchain technology seemingly without even knowing that underneath it, that's what we're using. We probably won't even call them NFTs, right? We'll probably call them something else, right? Yeah. So eventually, I think it will be in many different aspects of our lives, just like the internet. And I think that the best stage would be when people will not have to figure this out and I will not have to explain it. It will be just part of the thing and no one would even care whether it's blockchain underneath it or not. It will just become part of our lives. So let's say if you are getting tickets to go to a, a sports event and all this ticketing system is based on the NFT kind of structure, but it's embedded into some apps that are very easy to use and you don't have to jump through the whole crypto loops, et cetera, et cetera, and it's just part of the system, then it will be you. Everyone will be having NFTs, but you know we, we don't have to learn things from scratch and we don't have to care about crypto or whatever it is underneath that. But I still think understanding the logic behind it is very important because only by understanding understanding how it works and why it was creating and what it actually represents, you will understand why it has a value. So I think that that element is, it's always interesting to just, at least on a basic level, to understand what it's about and that it's not just an image of an ape. Because like people say, oh, $400,000 for this ape image, people are crazy, right? And maybe they are, but maybe they aren't, but just you know, talking about it without really getting what it actually represents is the wrong thing to do. So in addition to uh, people checking out your NFT Revels podcast, is there a website or any particular place you want them to contact you on the socials? Where do you want to send people? My kind of preferred channel of the social media is Twitter, obviously, because I'm in that space. So the Twitter handle is NFT Rebels. And also my personal website, anialexander.com, is, is where I'm usually posting my articles and my uh, podcasts. And for the podcast listeners, it's spelled A-N-I, Ani, A-N-I, Alexander.com. Thank you so much for coming on and answering my questions. I know I understand it way more because you've answered all of them. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope it was useful. If you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C5 as in the letter C and the number five. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know that you love the show. You can tag me on Instagram. I'm at Stelzner. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.